As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Welcome to Brothers in Arms, brought to you by Catholic Men for Jesus Christ, with your hosts, George Rose and Bill Maher. Stay tuned as George, Bill, and their guests discuss topics relevant to Catholic men living out their faith in today's challenging world. And now, here are the hosts of Brothers in Arms, George Rose and Bill Maher. Well, good evening, my brothers. This is George Rose broadcasting to you from Ewing, New Jersey, the Brothers in Arms show. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, actually, perhaps, uh, not with Bill Maher, but with the, well, the world-renowned international man of mystery, Jez Ford. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, he says to himself. Yeah, not Bill. Bill is, uh, is busy changing the world, and I'm just sitting in as a second string but happy to do so once again. Oh, you're never second string, Jez. And we are blessed today to have a, a wonderful guest, uh, Father Jeff Kegley from St. Mary's in Middletown, New Jersey. It's a joy to be here. God bless you guys. Great to have you, Father. Mystical giant among us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I am surrounded by mystical giants today. <laughs> That's because you're five foot two, George. <laughs> I'm at least five foot four. <laughs> but uh, anyway, great to be here on a, for a beautiful Friday evening. We are uh, it's it's we entered September. The pennant race is in full swing uh, in New York right now with the, both the Yankees and the Mets. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a little dis- disclosure. Um, I am going to be at the Yankee game tonight. So somehow I will magically transport there after the end of the show for the seven o'clock game tonight. But, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yes, I, I called, asked Padre Pio how I would do that. He's Italian. Yeah, we got a lot of great Italians on the Yankees. <laughs> right, Mr. Producer? <laughs> so anyway, today, so we always start out with our Saint of the Month. And uh, this month we chose not, not a saint, but a feast day, uh, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, mm. which is celebrated on September 14th. And um, for those of us who took Latin uh, back in the day, you would know that exaltation means to lift up. So this is the feast to uh, lift up the cross, lift high the cross, the primary symbol of the Christian faith. And the feast recalls uh, uh, a couple of events. One is the finding of the true cross by St. Helena in in Jerusalem back in, in the year 326 approximately. And it also uh, commemorates the dedication of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher on the site of Calvary and also in Jesus' tomb. So, you know, according to Christian tradition, the true cross was discovered in, in 326 by St. Helena, who uh, was the mother of the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great. I mean, she was on a pilgrimage there, and then they decided they were going to build a— um, build a church on, on the site, and, and she and Helena and Constantine built the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which I have had the great fortune to uh, be there with Father Jeff, uh, I guess about 10, 11 years ago? Yeah, it's that long. Yeah. Wow. It's, ama- it's amazing it's been that long, isn't it? It does seem like yesterday, but it is that long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the highlights of my life, being able to go there, and especially being able to go with you. It was uh, it was amazing. And... Um, you know, it's interesting because, if, like, 
Christ was crucified in the year 33, right? So we're talking almost 300 years later, they discovered the true cross, right? And, and how did that happen? So um, the tradition says that um, the, uh, the Romans had built a temple to Aphrodite on the spot where the crucifixion happened. And, um, and that actually, what they, they tried to wipe out any memory of the crucifixion being there in Jesus, but what they did actually was end up preserving uh, the cross. Under, I think they actually said they found the three crosses for, for uh, the thieves as well. And, uh, but it ended up preserving them from the elements. So water didn't seep down into the dirt and destroy it over the years. And they found a, a fully intact cross when they went underneath the temple, uh, which is pretty interesting. And <clears throat> um, the date, you know, marks the, the, the feast marks the, the dedication of the church there, uh, which happened about uh, nine or ten years later. And the festival they had, they had a two-day festival, and the actual consecration of the church was on September 13th. But then on September 14th, they brought the cross itself uh, into the church um, on that day. And then the faithful could pray before the true cross, and everybody could come and venerate it. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's the history behind uh, uh, the, the exaltation of the cross, which will happen in a couple of weeks. Beautiful. Yeah. Standing. I'm just reading, and I didn't know this, but it's one of the few feasts that's celebrated uh, right across the board, Eastern churches, Orthodox churches, mm. um, Catholic churches alike, on September the 14th. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. wow. That's interesting. So we have that in common with our uh, our Orthodox brothers, I yeah. guess, huh? I mean, it, I guess it makes sense that the cross is, is the greatest tool of evangelization. So It is. Yeah. Um, and, and I was actually I was doing some research on this back in the day, right, when Jesus was crucified. Um, the cross was really considered kind of an uh, abhorrent symbol. Like Christians didn't use the cross in icons or anything like that because it was a symbol of, of death and mm-hmm. uh, the horror of what happened to this, this Savior. Right. And, and, you know, fast forward now, we, we wear it on our necklaces around our necks, right, everywhere, even people who aren't Christian wear it uh, as kind of a fashion symbol sometimes. But, you know, it's really come to symbolize the cross, not just not just a wooden cross, but it symbolizes Jesus himself, right, and, and the salvation that came through that cross. Um, but uh, I wonder when that happened, when uh, the cross was no longer uh, a symbol that would revolt, you know, give you revulsion that you didn't want to see it, and it became where people would... would uh, Wear it, wear it, and put it in iconography and things like that. I wouldn't know, but I would guess it would be when the people were encountering the Lord, and they want to memorialize somehow His mm. sacrificial act, mm. and so to mm. to put it into you know, the icons, into uh, into the images that we have now. Um, that probably is something like we want to remember this. This is where our salvation comes. This, mm-hmm. is, this is everything to us. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Mm. And so, you know, we want to lift up the cross, and I'm, I'm sure it was out of a personal devotion and encounter with the Lord. Mm. Mm. Of course. I just paused because, I, I mean, I, I could see a wormhole opening up, and I was thinking about, like, as you said it, that it is, it is or it was an abhorrent uh, image to even ponder, and never mind to turn around and then, find ourselves as a universal church literally declaring this day as a, the exaltation of the cross. Uh, but 
it's it's maybe not coincidental that um, Constantine himself uh, that was pivotal in his own conversion. I think is some of my history is going to screw up, but the Battle of the Milvian Bridge uh, when re-entering Rome, um, it's the cross that he sees, and I think the words that he hears were by this sign you will conquer. So the cross becomes pivotal, and uh, as Catholics specifically. Um, it stands us apart from other denominations because mm. we recognize the risen Lord mm. is, uh, is the one that gives us salvation, but there's no resurrection without mm. crucifixion. Mm. So, yeah, I'm going to just stop yeah, I there, think but. Well, I think, as you talked at that battle, the Battle of Milvian Bridge, that Constantine uh, told his soldiers to paint uh, the cross on their, on shields, their shields, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is probably the first time that was ever done. Yeah. Maybe that was kind of an inflection point where people started to use it uh, that way. Yeah. Was Helena uh, a convert before Constantine or was it the other way around? No, she was. I mean, she, she was, was right? yeah. She brought her son to the faith, I believe. Yeah. Mothers that'll do that. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I think that's how it worked in your life too, right, yeah, Jess? Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a, <laughs> like a, she's, she's a, a Helena for sure. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, well, we're going to take a quick break for, uh, and we'll be, we, we will be back in two minutes, if I can say that without <laughs> fumbling <laughs> over my words. But uh, we'll see you in a couple. Have you downloaded the Domestic Church Media app for all your mobile devices? It's free and enables you to stay in touch with Domestic Church Media and all we have to offer. You can tune in to our live broadcast 24-7 as well as listen to our archives and podcasts. And you can even watch our local DCM programs live on our YouTube channel or watch the archive programs all on your phone or tablet. In addition to all things DCM, you'll also have so many other resources right at your fingertips. The free Domestic Church Media mobile app also gives you the daily mass readings, the liturgy of the hours, numerous common prayers and novenas, and daily saints of the day. And that's not all. The Domestic Church Media mobile app also includes the complete catechism of the Catholic Church, the entire Bible, as well as multiple Catholic periodicals and newspapers like the National Catholic Register, Our Sunday Visitor, and so many others. Plus, you'll have access to all our local diocesan newspapers, and so much more. Go to your app store today and download the free Domestic Church Media mobile app. We know you'll love it. Too often Christians walk through life as if their circumstances had the final word, as if a bad doctor report, IRS audit, or mean boss were all-powerful. We need to start thinking and living as if God is all-powerful, because He is. When Paul was in prison, waiting to be beheaded, he wrote things like, I am pressed, not crushed persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. In all these things, we are more than conquerors because of him who loved us. He knew he had the upper hand because he had God's hand. A real champion isn't someone who wins all the time. It's someone who can't be defeated. Christians are supposed to walk through life like real champions. People who face the same struggles and trials anyone else does, but unlike anyone else does. Because we saw the final score and we know who wins. I don't know what you're facing today, but I know who has your back, so hold your head up high. Like St. Paul, you're more than a conqueror. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com on EWTN Radio. Welcome back, my brothers, on this gorgeous September evening, Labor Day weekend. Yankees are playing the Orioles tonight, <laughs> shortly, at the end of the show, the game will start. And you'll be there. <laughs> and I will be there. I will be magically transported instantly. Like. James T. Kirk from the Starship Enterprise. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So uh, a couple things, guys. I want to let you know on, um, and you'll you'll see an email blast from us. But we're going to be having an evening of reflection at St. Mary's in Middletown on what date, Father? It's going to be Thursday, September sixteenth. September sixteenth. Gotcha. Okay. So a couple weeks from now, we're going to have our quarterly evening of reflection, and and Father Jeff will be given the reflection. We're going to have dinner. Uh, there and um, a reflection and, and confessions and mass and all that. So please come if you can make it. It's always a great night. We uh, just restarted that um, in July at uh, St. William the Abbot in, uh, in Howell. So uh, it's great to be able to get back into doing that. It's always a, a really good event. So please come if you can. And um, we're in the, the section of our show where we do, you know, current topics or things that might be of interest to our the men who are listening. And um, just to start with a couple of uh, lighter things, there is a new documentary that came out recently. It was reviewed in uh, the National Catholic Register, and it's called Lords. And it was done by two documentarian documentarians who are actually not believers, but they, um, you know, they, they interview a wheelchair-bound man uh, – suffering from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. There's that Yankee theme again, Jez. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> as if. You notice there's only one of us talking about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, the, uh, but the film, it's structured as a week-long pilgrimage, the, um, uh, the documentary. And, and, and it, gets very, it gets a good review in the, um, in, in the uh, register. So if you get a chance, check it out. Some other some other videos that are uh, reviewed in there. If you're looking for something to watch with your kids uh, this weekend or with the family, uh, how to train your dragon, which is pretty good animation. I've seen it. It's I mean it's about ten years old or so, but they give a thumbs up to it if you're looking for something. Uh, Jaws, which Gosh. is about almost fifty years old at this point, <laughs> yeah. gets a thumbs up from the National Catholic Register. Jaws does. No idea why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one is Soul Surfer. I don't know if you ever saw that. But I saw that. that was a good yeah, that's movie. a really good movie. I think Dennis Quaid is the father of a young woman, Christian family, but she gets her. Uh, I think her arm gets taken, like gets uh, removed the by a shark, thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, true story. It's interesting they would review Soul. That's a true story, yeah. but Jaws and Soul Surfer would get a review in the same article, isn't it? Maybe it's the end of shark season. And they're just trying to throw out some, some fresh, uh, fresh looks. Jez, how old is the paper you're reading? Maybe it's Shark Week. <laughs> yeah, well, at least they're not reviewing Sharknado in here. If you've ever seen that one, <laughs> believe it or not, I have, and it's terrible. I'm sure you have. <laughs> but uh, but Soul Surfer is a really great one if you haven't seen it. It's a story of uh, you know redemption and Christian faith and how it helps uh, a young young girl who. Loses her arm in a shark attack mm-hmm. as a surfer and gets her life back. It's really good. And then uh, the last one, Lilies of the Field. Oh, my goodness. Which I've never actually seen. Have you seen that, Father? Oh, as a child. Yeah. As a child, as, it was a beautiful thing. As a matter of fact, it was in my uh, uh, grammar school. There mm-hmm. was a whole thing everywhere. was brought into the auditorium and we watched it, the Lilies of the Field. Mm-hmm. It was a good yeah, Really? Great, wow. Great, great, great film. Yeah, it says it was released in 1963. Yeah, it's older. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a recent film. Yeah. <laughs> this is no short. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interestingly, though, in uh, Lilies of the Field, that's the film for which uh, Sidney Poitier became the very first black actor to win an Oscar as a, in a leading performance. Mm. 
So that that song everybody sings, Amen, Amen. Right. That came from that. that Oh, Oh, no kidding. No kidding. What's the story about, like in a nutshell? What's the plot? Well, I'm remembering, and it was a long time ago, but it was um, religious sisters that was working, um, that lived on this farm, and this man came and helped them and and brought life into their farm and have it right. He's like a carpenter or something yeah, like that. Yeah. He comes in and helps the nuns build a chapel, I think. Sure, I think so. Yeah. Right? I think he helps them build a chapel. I know it's been a long time since oh, you saw it. Oh, my goodness, as it. Elementary <laughs> school. But <laughs> I, can tell, I can sing amen. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, we're always looking for good movies to watch, right? So you got a whole bunch from us today. Uh, so, um, Big jump there from... Sharknado to Lilies of the Field. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah I don't think anybody got a, uh, an Oscar in Sharknado, no, did so. they, Chess? <laughs> Father Jeff probably has no idea what we're talking about. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Consider yourself lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so a um, uh, couple other topics um, that have been in the news real, literally in the last couple of days. Um, Harvard University. Mm-hmm. Um, elected uh, an atheist as the president uh, of their chaplaincy group. I think there's about there are about forty different chaplains at Harvard, believe it or not, all kinds of different faiths, and one of them is uh, an atheist. It's he's he's the humanist chaplain, and he was elected to be basically he's the uh, the liaison from the group of chaplains to the president of Harvard. And but he's an atheist, which is it's one. It's kind of odd to me that they even have uh, an atheist chap. Like, what's the point, right? Like, why would that even be considered needing needing a chaplaincy? I guess you know you could be. Yeah, ther- chaplaincy needs to be connected to a religious body of some sort, at least I would think. Right, right. And actually, Jez, that's uh, Father Barron wrote a a widely um, syndicated uh, opinion piece that's been – it was in the New York Post, I think, yesterday, uh, saying that very thing. Mm -hmm. He said – you know, he calls it a complete and abject surrender uh, to elect an atheist as a president of their association of chaplains. And he says, quote, unquote, if a professed atheist counts as a chaplain, which is to say a leader of religious services in a chapel – then religion has quite obviously come to mean nothing at all because mm-hmm. what's the, there's, they don't believe in anything. So mm-hmm. how can it even be considered a religion? Um, and Father Barron goes on to say, he says, my point is, you know, he says that over the, the last uh, two centuries, um, you know, the relativizing of doctrine has led step by step to the situation at Harvard today, right? That even the most elemental of doctrines like a belief in God doesn't matter. One can still be perfectly religious, quote unquote, without it, which is, uh, yeah, he, he came out really strongly against this. And, um, you know, it's our one of our leading educational institutions in the country. And you would think that it's, you know, but the, um, uh, what would you call it? Uh, not, not the irony, but the, uh, the clear nonsensicalness of it, <laughs> to me, is lost at, at a place like Harvard. Yeah, we're... we're, we're when you look at our culture and when things like this happen, um, you really see the battle that we're in. Um, you know, again, and we got to remember that our, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but the principality of darkness. Mm. And that the devil can deceive people, even chaplains of a university, to elect somebody who's an atheist to mm. be their spokesperson. Mm. 
Um, we can get easily get mad at the, at the institution. We can get mad at the chaplains that elected. But our battle really is with the, the evil one and the influences um, that he has. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, our response needs when we, it's so obvious to people of faith that this is so wrong. But we have to have a response. And I think just um, this week also our, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, really called us to pray more and fast more. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what's really going to change all of this craziness that we're seeing is when um, it's like Second Chronicles. Chronicles uh, 714, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, I will heal the land. You know, if we really take the lead, you know, the followers of Jesus and and pray and fast, that's how things are going to change. Otherwise, we're just offering more complaints of what's going on in the world. Um, if we're not fasting, we're not praying. And of course, these things are not going to change. Mm. It's just going to become more prevalent. But the power of prayer, the power of fasting, um, will change this world. Mm. Mm. Thanks, Father. You've just definitely healed me from the words nonsensical that George uttered before and brought us back to, to <laughs> the, the root need. When I was listening to this, the, I mean, Baron, Bishop Barron talks about um, his connection with humanism and, uh, um, and atheism, like the you know, two pieces of the same puzzle. Mm. And more than anything else, I think in our day and age, that's what it tends to. It's 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 not just a godlessness, but it's a projection of the I am God. And mm. so it's not it's not a surprise at all at a place like Harvard or anywhere else, really, that's just considered mm. a secular institute. And the thing that drew me that even in polytheistic societies like Rome, on those Appian ways, those those uh, main roads throughout Roman cities. They'd build different gods, statues of different gods for different things, but they'd have enough humility, for want of a better word, to build a statue for the god that they haven't figured out yet mm. because there was always going to be one that you know greater than self. But everything that you just, you just spoke so eloquently of, Father, again points us back to the need to humble ourselves and, and surrender to Almighty God, and Harvard is not a place that that seems to be very evident right now, like mm. so many others. Mm. You know, if we're not fasting, if we're not praying, then we will be shocked, um, because j- just common sense seems to be not not here. You elect an atheist, but you know, but we shouldn't be shocked. We we know the world's in darkness right now, mm. and uh, this is our <coughs> battle, and, and this is where a faithful followers of Jesus need to rise up and, again, do what, what we're called to do, pray constantly, um, come into an, to a time of fasting and prayer, and let's change the world. Um, that's our only solution. Otherwise, we're just yakking. <laughs> just saying, of course, we're on a talk show, so that helps. But, <laughs> but we're just offering lip service. You know, If we're not fasting and praying, then, mm. then we're, we have no solution to this atheist. Yeah, we have to... Uh... Our words have to be backed up by action, yeah. right? And uh, that interior action that you're talking about is is more important, really, than anything. Without that, the rest of the action doesn't really go well. Um, but I, I, one of the things that's surprising about it to me, though, too, is that there's there are 40 different chaplains there. So there are Christian chaplains from Christian faiths that voted for him to be the president of their chaplains association, even, even the Catholic chaplain <laughs> did as well. And they came out and clarified it afterwards and said, you know, it's really, it's just an administrative position. He doesn't have any influence on 
um, what they what they do with their individual chaplaincies. But but symbolism matters, though I think, right? And this this is something that's that's symbolic. Um, that atheism is equivalent to every other religion. And interestingly, I, I mentioned to both of you before the show, um, I did a little research on the, the humanist chaplaincy at Harvard. And uh, on the website, on the university's website, it says that the, the goal of the Harvard humanist chaplaincy is to create, you know, quote unquote, a new model for how humanists celebrate life, promote reason and compassion and better the world for all. And their aim is to foster community amongst atheists, agnostics, and allies, quote-unquote allies. So I guess we would be considered allies. And humanism, it says, is it's a progressive life stance that, uh, that without supernaturalism, which means without God, right, uh, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment, aspiring to humanity's greater good which I'll use that word again, Jez, this is kind of nonsensical to me because <laughs> what underpins any of these ethical values if it's just yeah. based on whatever somebody decides they want those values to be? I mean, there's, there's no consistency to any of it. Um, but according to, so uh, uh, the gentleman who was elected, is, is, uh, his name is Epstein, um, and um, he did an interview in 2013 on Harvard's U- YouTube page, and he uh, gave the history of how the human, humanist chaplaincy was founded in 2005 at Harvard. And it was founded by former Catholic priest Tom Ferrick. And Epstein said that Ferrick uh, eventually lost his belief in God through encounters with students at Dartmouth College while he was serving as an assistant chaplain there. Mm. So a Catholic priest. And uh, Epstein says the students talked him right out of believing in God. He also realized that he was a gay man and that was a bit of a challenge in a Catholic setting. And what finally set him over the edge was, the Va- was Vatican II's decision not to allow contraception. He just couldn't, from an ethical point of view, stand that idea, Epstein said of Ferrick. It wasn't compatible with his view of an ethical world. Wor- an ethical world. So well, well that explains done, a lot, you, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you've just like thrown out every possible topic and we probably need to go on air for another We can do the rest of the show hours. on this, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but, it, you know, but it's interesting because you go know, from a headline, you know, Harvard Association of Chaplains elect an atheist to follow the string all the way back to the beginning, well, right? All right let's, uh, <laughs> just to, I don't want to flog a dead, a dead horse, yep. but if you simplify it, it's simply, in my mind, it's this. Uh, atheistic chaplain doesn't work. It's words are important. If you if if he was elected an atheistic administrator, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. And that's what he is. Right. So. Yep. I'm with you. So great discussion though. That's uh, good stuff. And I guess the one other uh, topic I would switch gears a little bit, like to touch on, would be um, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, one to EWTN uh, White House correspondent uh, Owen Jensen. So I don't know if you saw the news yesterday, but you know Texas passed this um, uh, this new uh, abortion law, the heartbeat law. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, recently, right? Thanks, yeah. thanks be to God. And it's an interesting law uh, because it basically um, there's a lot of ins and outs to it, how it works. But uh, it went into effect on September first. And uh, it states that a doctor may not knowingly perform or induce an abortion on a pregnant woman if the physician detected a fetal heartbeat for the unborn child. 
with an exception to save the life of the mother. And that basically is around six weeks when you can detect a heartbeat. So Texas enacted this law, and um, it's, uh, uh, it's become a big topic. I think, as you said, Father, we, it seems to have caught the, um, uh, the pro-choice uh, crowd off guard a bit. Yeah, the, the reaction, obviously, is expected, but I don't think they were ready for it. And, right. Um, you know, this is a, a major step in, um, in overturning Roe versus Wade. And we just pray that really the Supreme Court eventually gets the case that they can overturn this. Right. But I, I really honor all the, the courageous uh, legislators in, in, in Texas for, um, for, for, for stepping up and, and really defending life. Yeah, it's great. It's, and uh, I just heard this morning that mm-hmm. Florida is considering their legislators is considering doing the same thing. So. Oh, Florida is too. Wow, that'd be great. And, and, you know, the Supreme Court, I think it was, I guess it was yesterday, the Supreme mm-hmm. Court uh, uh, declined to, uh, uh, to hear a case because right. uh, I think Planned Parenthood or, or some of the, the pro-choice um, uh, institutions uh, sued uh, that this is illegal, that it's unconstitutional, this law. Um, but the Supreme Court declined to hear it because there's no case yet, right? So the way this, this law is going to work is that the government is not actually enforcing it. It's a civil, um, a civil enforcement. So if a doctor performs an abortion after those six weeks, then any individual would have the ability to bring a civil lawsuit against the doctor or the, the facility that performs that abortion, uh, and then we get damages for that. And that's going to be uh, the mechanism, uh, which is pretty creative and innovative. Mm-hmm. So... Because there hasn't actually been a lawsuit like that yet, the Supreme Court declined to hear it, but it's going to make its way back there, right? right. <laughs> For sure. So to get back to <clears throat> Owen Jensen yesterday at the White House press conference, so he asked, and he's, and we're very proud, we're EW10 radio station, right? This, this is one of our guys, one of our, our White House correspondent. And, and he asked uh, Jen Psaki at the White House press conference uh, about this, and he said, uh, and this was a topic because uh, President Biden said he was going to use the whole of the U.S. government to ensure that women could still get abortion in Texas. That's our Catholic president saying that. So uh, Owen Jensen uh, asked Jen Psaki the question, why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? And, you know, her answer was that the president believes abortion is a woman's right. It's a woman's body and it's her choice. And then he had a follow up question and he said, who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? And Jen Psaki said, well, he believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. And then she got kind of snarky, uh, to be honest. And she said, I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant. But for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing, which it is, of course. But um, he tried to ask another question and she cut him off and said, you've had more than enough time. And uh it was, um, you know, it was pretty um, very dramatic for me to watch it, actually, that he was able, actually able to ask these questions directly uh, in a national uh, White House press conference like that. So, um, I don't know. Any thoughts, uh, Jez, on that? Yeah, again, I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a surprise because it's such a, um, uh, a, a hotbed uh, on both sides, and I think— um, when I when I there's so much woundedness around mm. post-abortive 
um, uh, effects that I always want to be careful because obviously our fundamental uh, principle is to protect the unborn life and to protect all life from from mm. uh, conception to the grave. Um, so I'm delighted that he gets that that um, that spotlight in, in mm. a sense yep. in a press briefing. But I would pray for her for most of DC. I mean, mm. I. I Kind of jumping on what Father was talking about, always comes back to the desperate need to uh, to pray for the conversion of this country from the highest office in President Biden um, to to the lowest office or to the most degrading mm. of offices. Um, so yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm dodging the question, but that's been on my heart uh, in recent times more than it has uh, ever before because mm. we are in a, a pivotal moment in history. Globally, not just here in the States. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Very well said. Yeah, so again, it, it's going back to what I was saying, what the Holy Fathers asked us to do is that prayer and fasting. You know, all of what's going on in the world is, is, is appears to be a darkness right now. And there's only one response. We, we can't keep being surprised by these things happening before us. We, we know the, the devil is prowling like a roaring lion, you know, mm. and, and the only thing that's going to change um, people's views you know, um, the only thing that's going to, you know, reveal truth to them is is right now is prayer and, and, and fasting. And I, again, I don't want to be a dead horse either, but um, we can talk about all these issues, but what's what do we do about it? And mm. The Holy Father asks us to do something about it. He asks us to pray and fast. And um, maybe if every Catholic Christian um, really stepped up a little bit did that, we'll see drastic immediate changes. Mm. But I think it's getting people to step up and pray, you know. You know, we have uh, an adoration chapel that's open 24 hours a day and seven days a week. And we have wonderful, you know, um, attendance. You know, we got 400 doors since we opened the cha- reopened the chapel on Ash Wednesday. We've had 3,000 visitors. But if you think of all that's in the world, I mean, what we were just talking about, we should have police directing traffic going into to being with Jesus and, and, and presenting our hearts to the Lord um, on all these issues. We don't. We have a lot of people. Don't get me wrong, and I'm grateful for every door that we have. But if every Catholic stepped up you know, um, and really prayed more and fasted, things will change. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Well said, Father. Well said. No, you're so right because it's it's not about politics. The politics is a symptom of the disease, as they say, right? And Mm -hmm. you're talking about the disease itself, which is uh, spot on. So thank you for that. And uh, I believe we are at the end of uh, this segment. So we are going to take a two-minute break and we will be right back. We have a big problem. Our culture is dying and souls are in danger of being lost. The answer is conversion to Jesus Christ in his church. St. Paul Street Evangelization is a Catholic organization and we have hundreds of teams spreading the good news throughout the country. But we need your help. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Find out more and get involved today at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. 
It started like it does for many people, question my faith and question authority. And I feel that the reason why I left was the, the draw of the world. The world was pulling me away. Some people would say, you know, Satan would, you know, Satan was working on me. He did not want me in church. He wanted me to be desperate. He wanted me to have the thoughts of suicide. I started to realize that a lot of the things that I experienced in my life were a result of my rebellion against God and against authority. Coming back to the church is the first step in healing from all of the hurts of the world. I went from being desperate and in despair to finding hope and encouragement for, for the future. I'm on God's team. I, I know who I belong to and I know where I'm going, and there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. Take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? It's a good question. I gave a huge hug this morning. We've actually organized a date night tonight. I took the baby while she worked. Um, I sent my husband a love email. I have carried my wife's purse. I shopped. We talked. I made my wife laugh. She's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Do something a little special. Get started at foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Welcome back, my brothers, on this gorgeous September 3rd, Friday evening. And uh, I am here with uh, my co-host, my guest co-host, Gerard Jezemiah Ford. Hails from Manchester, England. There's a Dominic in there as well, if you really want to go. Is it really? Yeah. What is the full name, Jess? Can you say it in it's your all Jared your British Dominic elegance? Sebastian Ford. So once more? Jared. Yes. Dominic. So I think it means belonging to God. Okay. Sebastian, patron saint of athletes like myself. <laughs> Ford. <laughs> Father, he can make anything sound good with that accent, can he? He's he's gifted. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also with Father Jeff Kegley, uh, pastor of St. Mary's in, in Middletown, New Jersey. And um, Father, this year is a uh, special uh, anniversary for you uh, and your priesthood. I've been blessed to be ordained uh, 25 years this year. 25 years this year. Wow. That's um, that's That's amazing. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's gone fast. You know, life in the church has changed in 25 years, um, but it's been a blessed um, experience of, as a priest. And uh, I keep saying, you know, I'm blessed. Uh, mm. It really has been a great gift. Mm. So 25, so what year were you ordained, Father? 1996. 1996. Wow. That's... that's a, you're the Yankees won the World Series after a long drought. That's amazing. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. It's the first thing that popped into my mind. Really? <laughs> Let me go back to fasting and prayer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I'm sorry, guys. I just can't help myself. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Is there a segment on idolatry? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Father, is there, is there, other than, you know, obvious um, things like the, 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 the celebration of Holy Mass, but if there was a highlight, could you pinpoint one or two highlights in those 25 years? Oh, there's so many. Um, one, like in the beginning, like when I was a newly ordained, you know, throughout seminary, you almost like romanticize about um, celebrating Holy Mass, and it is absolutely amazing, mm. you know. But the surprise came was 
um, in confession, you're able to minister to people um, mm. with all their hurt and their pains um, on a one-on-one and, and, and the confessional. But something that, that has continued to, to overwhelm me, in a sense, with the love and the mercy of God, and, and see people healed in the sacrament mm. just by hearing the words, I absolve you from your sins. Yeah. You know, they've been carrying like the, the burdens that they've been carrying. So that was the surprise. But the work of evangelization um, as a priest has really uh, won my heart. And again, it's not so much a sacramental thing, but it's living out uh, the great commission of go make disciples. Right. That has excited me. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's, I hear a lot of priests say that, that like the, one of the, the greatest privilege they have is to hear confessions. Uh, you know, and I would imagine that, that you're experiencing people at their most vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when people truly confess their sins, and that, that that has to be a really special moment to uh, experience that. Yeah, we, people carrying burdens, you know, mm. years and years. And uh, um, I just had a, a beautiful experience uh, two days ago. Uh, a woman from my parish. Um, she's 83 years old. She's homebound. She's being moved into assisted living. Mm. And uh, out of state, and I went over to their house, her house, and and just was able to minister the sacrament to her. But it was the most beautiful uh, time of grace. You mm. know, she um, she knows she's facing glory real soon, mm. you know? and the fact that she knows she's forgiven and loved by Jesus, uh, it was just you know a wonderful experience. Mm. You know, kind of piggybacking off that a little bit, Father, uh, not to away from this your segment here your priesthood but my first return to confession that i remember um was born as a recovering alcoholic um i was involved in i am still involved in alcoholics anonymous and the 12-step program and one of the steps um necessitates an inventory um you're taking your inventory and my sponsor at the time who was a baptist said, well, you're a Roman Catholic. You should really go to confession. And I hadn't been for a long time. And the experience of hearing men confess their, their sins, in a sense, um, is, in an AA setting, is, is completely different mm-hmm. to what takes place sure. in reconciliation. So, um, I, but the importance is, is, is pivotal, especially right now. And George, I think Father was actually offering that as an invite for after the show, if you're interested. <laughs> oh, are you uh, taking my inventory, Jess? No. <laughs> Just in case you wanted to bring up the Yankees again. Right. Oh, oh, yeah. Imagine yeah. the poor soul that was in line behind him for confession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Behind who? Me or Jess? Both. <laughs> it, still, it still can go on. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Um, Father, what about, so that's the great, what, what's been the most difficult part of most, being a priest? Oh yeah. The most difficult is the, you know, we've lost the culture, you know? Mm. And so the work of evangelization, um, is harder and harder, you know, um, you know, St. Paul, you know, Romans 12, two, do not let your minds be conformed to this age. And our people have been formed by this age. And, you know, it shows in, you know, low attendance at church and, but so the, the culture has destroyed young people. You know, the world, the flesh, the devil is coming after our people uh, like a locomotive. Mm. And it's just destroying them. And so, you know, we can get really discouraged by all of that reality. But there's great hope because we have the message of hope. 
Mm-hmm. And then we have Jesus Christ who can deliver them. Um, we have Jesus Christ who can heal, and his mercy is bound, um, boundless. And so we have uh, the solution to <laughs> this this crazy world. Um, but right now, I would say that that's the challenge. We've, we've lost the culture. Hmm. We're like the Israelites in Egypt right now, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. We need exodus. Right. But we need to also be delivering that message of hope. Hmm. And you know, we, we're long past the, the season of we open our doors to our churches and people that are come running in. Hmm. Uh, there has to be a, uh, a deliberate outreach to people. Mm. Um, as uh, the Holy Father keeps telling us, go to the peripheral of, of society. Mm-hmm. That's where they are right now. Mm. And uh, I know Jez works with Life Teen in, at St. Raphael's, and you know I have Life Teen. And Life Teen always tells us to go where the teens are. You know, mm-hmm. so you know we might not want to go to malls or to you know <laughs> where the teens are, but that's where they are, and we we have to be there. And on social media. And social media. Right. You're, you're but, you know, we can't look at this like as an overwhelming work because it's not our work. It's the Lord using us. And so when we realize it's his work that we are doing, then the work will be accomplished. But if we have to think we have to white knuckle it, mm. um, like I got to do this, I got to never work. Mm. You know, it's all about the Lord's work and his grace is sufficient. And his, uh, his spirit is there available to us to bring that word of hope. Amen. Father, you're, you're one of the greatest evangelists that I, I know. Um, you don't know too many people. <laughs> yeah. well, I was going to say you, Pope John Paul II, and Father Jeff Kegley. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and you have a new program starting at St. Mary's now um, called Encounter Ministries, which is one of the reasons I wanted you on the, on the show today. And um, so St. Mary's is going to be starting um, in uh, the middle of uh, this month, I believe. Actually, September 14th, the Triumph of the Cross. Check that out. Is <laughs> yeah. that intentional? No. No. <laughs> God, not by, God's problem. No God, coincidence. Yeah, no God, coincidence. Yeah, yeah, one of those GMCs. God right. made coincidence, yeah. right? Um, September 14th. So Encounter Ministries is uh, an incredible ministry. Born has been um, started in Michigan by a gentleman named Patrick Rice. And I was very fortunate to attend uh, over the uh, the summer, earlier in the summer, uh, uh, a weekend retreat, the Catholic Charismatic Confer- Conference. Um, he came, and, and it was uh, an encounter ministry healing weekend, I guess I would say, right? So, um, and St. Mary's is designated as one of 12 uh, satellite campuses in the 19. country. One of 19 now. Wow, it's increased. Okay. So it, it's really great. It was two years ago I went out to... Uh, Ohio for uh, an encounter conference. Mm-hmm. I haven't been working in, in evangelization and, and renewal, you know, all my priesthood. Um, there's something that you always like shoot for. Like, you know, we've had the popes talk about the, the new Pentecost uh, and the new evangelization. And going to this this convention center, there's like 2,000 people there. Mm. And they got young, very young people young families with baby carriages, older people. And this was an encounter conference? This is the annual conference. Annual conference, okay. And um, I looked around and I said, this is everything we've been working for, Mm. you know, in renewal. And here it is. And uh, I said to Jim Tortorici, who was with me, he's going to be the director of of the school that we're opening. Um, I said, we've got to bring this back to New Jersey. And so we, we applied, or Jim did a lot of the paperwork and all that with um, Encounter, and we were 
um, established as the, the satellite campus in New Jersey at, at St. Mary's Mother God Parish. Now, again, the, the, the bishop, Bishop David O'Connell, gave us this wonderful welcome letter and uh, really appreciate mm. the support. So right now, the, the school is it's a, it's a two-year school. It's a training school that will um, activate people in, in the spiritual gifts. But what I love about the first year of the program is that really affirms the people's identity as sons and daughters of God, who they are. Mm. And it also talks about, again, I was mentioning before with you know, Romans 12, 2, about how the world is forming our people's mind. So our school will teach people how to be formed in the mind of Christ. Mm. Like, mm. I don't think a lot of our faithful wake up and say, right, how do I get formed in the mind of Christ? Right. And I don't, you know, outside of, again, the prayer that we're talking about, but, but this is actually classes. <clears throat> and what we'll do is we'll bring them, we'll teach them, um, and then we'll, we'll do some activations where we... We let the people um, respond to what we were just teaching right, uh, in, in right. a physical way. And, Father, and they're being taught in a healing ministry. So you're being taught how to go about helping to heal other people right. in, in a physical way. Right. And in the first year, that would be the third quarter where we're talking okay. about the um, you know, healing. And it's pretty amazing because what we look to do in encounter ministry is to empower people their, so they can go into their sphere of influence and use, uh, and to act like Jesus did, like Jesus healed the sick. Mm. So you know, he's our he's our model, and so then we should be able to heal the sick. Mm-hmm. It's the same, the spirit of God that's inside us. Mm. But we have to first of all identify, know our identity in Christ Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit working within inside us, and then to to act like Jesus acted, um, and to do what he did. When I attended uh, over the summer, um, Patrick Rice spoke a lot about, um, clarified some things for me that there were a lot of miraculous healings in the Gospels that Jesus performed, and and those usually preceded the spirit, his evangelization and his spiritual healings. So he would use those to get people's attention and attract them and bring them in, and then he would preach the good news and the gospel. Right. Well, you look at even the first Christian community where thousands were added to the numbers daily. What was attracting the people? Um, you know, part the preaching of the you know the gospel. Mm-hmm. There was miraculous healings that would take right. place, right? And that's where people were were coming um, to experience the healings. They were bringing the sick from all over. And so, nowhere in our tradition have we said healings have stopped. Matter of fact, every holy mass that we celebrate, we say only say the words, and I shall be healed. Mm-hmm. So every mass we can and should be experiencing some healing from the Lord. Yes. Uh, and so this isn't new to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. You know, this goes back to the first Christian communities, Jesus himself. Even the Lord's documentary that I mentioned earlier, since uh, Lord's, uh, there's been 7,000 uh, healings, uh, physical healings at Lord's. Um, I think 70 have been officially uh, well, uh, approved. approved, thank you, <laughs> by the church. But uh you know, since Lord's, since the Blessed Mother first appeared at Lord's. And, and I'll tell you guys, um, when I heard Patrick Rice speak and, and even some of the, um, at the Charismatic Conference, there are physical healings that are happening there. I was astounded, completely astounded by what I heard and what I saw when I was there over the summer. Yeah, you know, and again, we, we have the, the healing mass every, like tonight, we, uh, in a few hours, we have a healing mass. And um, we expect miracles to take place. You know? mm. 
and, and the point of encounter ministry is to train and equip and to activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in our students. So they may go into their sphere of influence and use those gifts. It would be wrong for us at this point to think that miracles only happen in biblical times. It was only because Jesus was doing them. He, he has given us the power to, to do what he has done mm. down through the Holy Spirit. And he, so, said, he said he gave us the power to do greater things than yeah, he did, right? Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's through his spirit that we can do that. And so we, we really want to encourage people, if we're going to really change the world, then we're going to send people out. But they have to be equipped to go out. Right. You know, we're not equipping. You know, we're, they're going out and, you know, getting picked off. So, Father, where can people register for, uh, for the school? Sure, they can go to um, the website for the Diocese of Trenton Catholic Charismatic Renewal, which is www.dotccr.org. Again, that's www.dotccr.org. And is, um, you can also go to the encounterministries.us, um, and you can register at both places. Okay. And I think the, uh, the courses, there's, I think there's over two years, there'll be eight semesters. semesters. And it's every Tuesday night will be at St. Mary's. Right. For, okay. For the class. And you can register. I think there's a, a, a nominal fee uh, to register, right? Which helps pay the, the salaries of, of right, people the people that are teaching and organizing. Because right. I think this is becoming um, uh, maybe not a full-time, but a semi-full-time job uh, for Jim right. Tortorisi, right? So that, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm planning on – I haven't registered yet, but I'm planning on doing it. Great, great, great. Again, if anybody has questions about Encounter Ministries, uh, the School of Ministry – at St. Mary's, they can call me um, at St. Mary's uh, Parish, uh, 732-671-0071. Wow, what a great work. It's so exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So, guys, we're uh, coming to the end of our time here. Um, we only got about a half a minute left, and I want to remind you, uh, Thursday, September 16th at St. Mary's, keep your eyes out for the email for the evening reflection at St. Mary's, which Father Jeff will be uh, hosting and giving the reflection that night. And uh, Jez, uh, any any final reflections from um, our, our, our British uh, friend? So many. I, I really <laughs> just want to thank Father. It's been great to spend this time with you and see it as a segue to everything we've talked about, actually all the the news pieces and, and the, the various things that are going on, that this Encounter School of Ministry is really uh, puts into action the, the solution. Mm. That we we as Catholic uh, and Christian men and women desire to to be like Jesus, to act like Jesus, encounter school of ministries is a lifestyle change that's important to uh, to bring about the the changes we need in the world. And to you, Jez, good luck. I know you started the diaconate this week, so uh, let's pray for Jez and his new uh, journey to becoming uh, a deacon of the Holy Catholic Church. Yes, please pray. Yes, please we pray. will. So thanks a lot, guys. Great to be here tonight and. and um, uh, be part of your drive home or wherever you are, but have a great uh, Labor Day weekend, and we'll see you next month.